And I was laying there thinking, man, what was I thinking, man? I was hoping that this was going to be something, some miracle or something, and he made me sick. Next thing I know, 12 hours later, I woke up in the same position, clothes on, fully dressed, light on, and I, I mean, I slept 12 hours straight. Hmm. I hadn't done that in, God, who knows, months, maybe longer. And, uh, and I was like, I woke up and I was like, trying to figure out now how did I get here and why am I why am I fully dressed the lights on I was like this is weird so I get up I go in take a shower you know get ready to go to school wherever I was going I brush my teeth and believe it or not my gums for the first time in months did not bleed at all huh. it, it healed overnight This is Dr. Paul Hamburg of UpperCervicalDocs.com, and here's an interview I did with Dr. Ray Drury of Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Drury is one of the founding directors of Upper Cervical Health Centers of America. He's a graduate of Logan College, where he earned a bachelor's degree in human biology and his doctorate of chiropractic. Uh, he's completed 100 hours of certification through the Kale Upper Cervical Specific Network, where he was also an instructor for many years. He was also a member of the Kale Upper Cervical Research Council, an organization that performed upper, upper cervical research all over the world. He's traveled the world, teaching the benefits of upper cervical care, including several chiropractic schools, upper cervical seminars, and two missionary trips to the former Soviet Union, where he instructed medical doctors in the understanding and practice of upper cervical chiropractic. Ten years ago, Dr. Drury founded and has successfully run one of the busiest upper cervical clinics in the world in Charlotte, North Carolina. In this interview, we discuss how he was healed of an illness overnight from an upper cervical adjustment, how his early practice, practice experience was a real struggle, how he developed the systems that led to the Upper Cervical Health Centers of America, uh, we talk about the evolution seminars, and we talk about the use of CT imaging in the upper cervical practice. Dr. Drury is a great guy, and I really hope you enjoyed this interview. By the way, drop me a line when you get a chance and let me know your opinion on these interviews. Do I cover the topics that you want to hear? Are there some doctors that, we, that you would like to hear me interview? Or you can always just leave me your opinion. I can be reached by email at drhambrick at uppercervicaldocs.com. And now, Dr. Drury. Okay, uh, born and raised most of my life in uh, Kentucky, uh, right around the Lexington area primarily. Um, and uh, actually, uh, my we, I, I moved to um, moved to Portugal when I was thirteen, and that kind of pretty much that rocked my world pretty good because uh, you know when you're thirteen, you know your whole world revolves around your friends, and I left all my friends, and I, I had to go because my stepfather's family passed away and left uh, a couple small businesses and some land and stuff, and, and and at least in Portugal, you can't trust anybody to do anything, so we moved over there for a year to basically sell everything off, and uh, but when I was over there, it really changed my life. It gave me a whole new respect for the opportunities that we had available to us in the United States that were not available in some of those other countries. And uh, so, about time, so I came back um, in uh, in eighth, ninth, ninth grade. Yeah, ninth grade. And um, 
Um, that was about the time where I was like, you know, hey, I can do anything I want to, and uh, so what do I want to do? And I really had a, a very strong desire to, you know, I wanted to be able to help people, and, uh, you know, particularly with health problems, whatever. So all I had ever heard about, you know, that, that I knew to help anybody were medical doctors, so I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, so I went from making, you know, the average to graduating with a 3.9 GPA with the idea that, you know, I'm going to make, I can do this. So, of course, i got to have good grades to become a medical doctor. Oh, nice. And um, uh, so started all my pre-med stuff. And then, um, but I was in about, I guess, 10th grade, 11th grade, something like that. And my dad, who, you know, I did not live with him, but he lived about an hour away from me. Um, came to me one day and said, hey, uh, I'm going to Kansas City to become a chiropractor. And I was like, oh, well, okay, whatever. Didn't really know what it was then, other than, you know, I thought that they probably, you know, they were like, you know, they did back stuff. They worked on backs. That's about all I knew. So he took off to Kansas City while I was going through my undergrad, and at the summer before my junior year, I think it was, I was filling out NCAT, uh, getting ready to take the medical board exams and stuff, uh, to get into medical school. And um, uh, my dad had just graduated in January, this was the summer, and we went on a fishing trip, which we had used to do before he went away to school, and this was like the first one we had gone on in about four years. And uh, it was just he and I for about a week, and... Um, while we were there, he started explaining to me, you know, talking to me about chiropractic. Of course, I was already, you know, on my way to medical school. That was my plan. And, and uh, you know, I very distinctly, he said, um, okay, let's say you're a medical doctor. Okay, let's say a patient comes to you with uh, a condition, whatever, you know. It says, say, headaches. I'm like, okay. He's like, okay, so tell me what you're going to do with this person. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to figure out what's causing their headaches, okay? Let's say you figure out what you think is causing the headaches, then what are you going to do? I said, well, um, you know, I guess I'll give them a, a, a medication or something to, uh, to treat their headaches. And so, of course, you know, it's like, okay, so let's say you give them uh, just something over the counter, a Tylenol. Okay, Tylenol. He's like, okay, so now do you really think that that person's headache was caused by a lack of Tylenol? Like, hmm. So that started the beginning of a, uh, you know, pretty lengthy debate on whether as medicine actually treated conditions or, I mean, symptoms or actually was doing anything to the cause. Well, of course, I was kind of stubborn and hard-headed, and I fought it a little bit, and, but he obviously planted something there that, uh, you know, I could not get out of my head, and, uh, and I just knew that, you know, if I went to medical school, my dad is going to do this to me probably the rest of my life. <laughs> He's going to make me feel like, uh, you know... All you're doing is temporarily covering up symptoms, and you're never fixing the problem. And, and uh, but of course, obviously, it made sense. And I started looking into it. And anyway, long, long story, a little shorter. I wound up uh, deciding, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to chiropractic school instead of medical school. So uh, we started looking at different chiropractic schools, and everybody that I talked to said, don't go to the school they went to. So I wound up at Logan because I didn't really know anybody that had been there. <laughs> And where, where was it that your uh, dad had gone in Kansas City? He went to he went to Cleveland. Okay. In Kansas City. And uh, so I went to Logan, and Logan was, uh, I mean, you know, there's the only philosophy, the only time I ever heard B.J. Palmer's name at Logan 
was when they said that, that he tried to run over his dad in a parade. <laughs> that was all I knew about D.J. Palmer from Logan College. Uh. And um, so um, when I got there, you know, I mean, I, I started searching, you know. I mean, even right off your first trimester, you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, there's all these different things that, you know, or it's so-called chiropractic, you know, what what really makes the most sense to me. And um, I started first, uh, well, you know, of course they start going through diversified stuff, and the diversified guys were kind of, doctors there were kind of the big guys on campus, and started looking around, and finally um, um, I started looking at some guys that did Gonstead, and, uh, you know, they had a, a scope, which made sense to me that there's a, you know, hey, you know, Let's use something that actually is objective to try to find where the problem is. And uh, so I like that idea. And then also I like the idea that they only adjusted, um, you know, one to three segments, never more than three segments, usually one to two. And I like that idea um, rather than, you know, racking and cracking. And and, uh, so I went up to Palmer to uh, Dr. Troxel's seminars a few times. And learned a little bit of, uh, started learning. I actually got pretty good. I could do down to about T3 in the chair. And, uh, and this was early. This was about my fourth semester, fourth trimester, third, fourth trimester. And, um, but all of a sudden, um, well, I'll tell you what happened next. One of the guys that did the Gonstead that, that I was kind of hanging out with and, you know, that encouraged me to learn it said, hey, man, there's a seminar down in Atlanta. Um, that you've got to go to, man. It's just unbelievable, life-changing, you know, chiropractic. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. So finally a couple of the guys were like, you know what, let's just take a road trip to Atlanta, man. If nothing else, it would be fun for, you know, to get out of, get out of town. So we went down to uh, DE seminar, our first DE seminar. And, of course, we heard, you know, the likes of Sid Williams and Big Foose and Dick Santo and, I mean, all these, uh, uh, Ian Grossom and Gre- uh, Jimmy Gregg and Bob Hoffman and all these guys and it was just I mean I, I'll never forget our first trip we did not sleep the entire weekend and we were there Thursday to Sunday and I mean we were just so wired so just like like somebody had just pulled the veil off our eyes that um, we were, I mean we stayed as four of us drove down there together and we were just it was unbelievable it just absolutely changed our lives and um, and one uh, we heard one uh, tall, thin, gray-headed guy with a with a brown hat on, just hollering and screaming and pounding this book and tearing stuff up, and and we were like, you know, I don't know what the heck he does, but man, he sure is passionate about it. You know? I mean, that just drew us that this guy was like, he was into it. And uh, it was, you know, it was called, it was upper cervical, and he was pounding on volume 18 and flipping through and pulling quotes out, reading stuff out of it at random. I mean, it was just just crazy. And all I'd ever, I didn't know anything about upper cervical, absolutely nothing. If I'd ever heard of it, it was in 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 a joke or something. You know, those guys, yeah, they had just, you know, one bone, you know. You know, what about the rest of the body, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, but while I was there, um, I, uh, I met Dr. Rob Kessinger, and he was, uh, he had just kind of gotten into it. it. was just, he was just going through the seminars and just learning it. And, uh, but, you know, I talked to him a little bit, and he said, you know, hey, we're from, you know, found out we were from Logan, found out he's from Cape Girardeau, was about an hour and a half away, and, 
And he gave me his card. He said, yeah, you ought to come down sometime, man. Check out my office. And I was like, okay, yeah, we'll see. So I left and didn't really think a whole lot about upper cervical or about Dr. Kessinger and went back to Logan. And, you know, I was definitely on fire for chiropractic and started looking for green books and studying BJ and stuff. But I uh, wasn't really, hadn't really caught the upper cervical bug. Um, but then all of a sudden, I, as God would have it, I got started getting really sick. And I was getting scoped and checked and adjusted. And, you know, every time they would scope me, they'd find a new some new break somewhere, and then somebody'd pound on that, and then they'd adjust this, and then they'd adjust that. And they were just adjusting the crap out of me, and I just kept getting sicker and sicker. And, uh, I mean, I, was, I had my gums were bleeding. Um, I mean, even when I wasn't brushing my teeth, I felt like I had a virus or something in my mouth. I had, like, ulcers and sores in my mouth. Um... Um, just, you know, I wasn't sleeping good at night. My energy was really low. I couldn't concentrate. I tried to study for tests, and I would study and study. I'd look at the same page for, you know, an hour, walk away for five minutes, come back, and I couldn't tell you one thing that was on that page. It was really, really getting frustrated. I was really, really getting frustrated. This went on for probably a month. Um, so then, finally, I was like, all right, you know what? I found Dr. Kessinger's card, and I'm like, I'm going to give this guy a call. So I called him and said, hey. Just thought I'd come down and see what you do and check it out. So he's like, yeah, come on down. Went down. He uh, scanned me with uh, the, back then it was the neurocalligraph, uh, x-rayed me, um, adjusted me. And, uh, you know, I mean, immediately that adjustment was like nothing I'd ever had before. And I was rested there for about 20, 30 minutes, got back up, scanned me again. The line was straight. I was like, okay, cool. You know, I didn't really think a whole lot of it. I was like, yeah, I can tell. I feel a little different, a little dizzy, you know. So, you know, something's going on. Um, so, anyway, I thanked him, and uh, he said, yeah, come on back down, man. You know, learn, watch us maybe in a practice. Maybe come and listen to one of our, our patient orientation classes or something. I was like, okay, all right, yeah, 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 I'll call you. So, I took off, drove back to, to uh, St. Louis about an hour and a half. Right as I got to the house, Never really felt nauseated, but I was walking up to the porch, and all of a sudden, man, it just hit me, and I threw up um, all over the side of the porch. Mm. Then took off running to the bathroom in the house and kneeled down and threw up again. Mm. Washed my mouth out, um, wiped off, you know, and then went over with the light still on, laid down on the bed, fully dressed, and I was thinking, oh, my God, that guy just really made me sick. He really messed me up. And I was laying there thinking, man, what was I thinking, man? I was hoping that this was going to be something, some miracle or something, and he made me sick. Next thing I know, 12 hours later, I woke up in the same position, clothes on, fully dressed, light on, and I, I mean, I slept 12 hours straight. I hadn't done that in, God, who knows, months, maybe longer. And uh, and I was like, I woke up and I was like, kind of trying to figure out now, how did I get here and why am I late? why am I fully dressed? The lights on. I was like, this is weird. So I get up, I go in, take a shower, you know, get ready to go to school wherever I was going. I brush my teeth, and believe it or not, my gums for the first time in months did not bleed at all. Huh. It, it healed overnight, and. Uh, I was like, and, and still it didn't quite totally catch me, 
But uh, Dr. Kessinger called me later that day, and he's like, hey, man, wanted to see how you did, how things were going. And I was like, man, I tell you what, man, that is, you know, you made me sick, man. I, I mean, I wasn't throwing up. I mean, I came home, I threw up, and was out in the yard, then threw up in the bathroom. And he's like, oh, man, that's great, that's great. And I'm like, what, man, you're crazy. And he's like, no, man, I, your body woke up. You had a virus, had something. Your body woke up and said, hey, we got to get this stuff out of here. You know, that's the quickest way to get it out, man. Just throw it up. And I was like, you think so? And that's when I was like, well, you know, my mouth isn't bleeding anymore. And then I went back in the bathroom and was looking. I didn't have any ulcers. I was like, man, that's, maybe he's right. Well, the, life, the things that happened to me over the next several weeks, uh, even probably a couple months, I mean, it was just it was just amazing. I mean, you know, it felt like a cloud had been lifted. I mean, even I noticed one day even my vision was so different that everything was more clean and crisp and sharp. And I mean, just all, it was just amazing. So, boy, that was a long answer. But that's how I got into the cervical anyway. That's where I came from to the point of getting into a cervical. Wow. Well, what did, uh, what did your dad have to say about it? <laughs> well, my dad was a full spine guy. Um, did therapies, ultrasound, and stuff like that. Um, um, mostly diversified, some Gonstead, some Thompson, you know, stuff like that. Well, when I first got, you know, I, I, I got in, I was in upper cervical for a long time before I ever even told him. We were driving to Spartanburg, uh, going to Dr. Kill's seminars uh, for a couple years um, before I graduated. And uh, before I graduated, I, I, I came to Dad and I, I said, Dad, I said, if you could adjust only one bone in the body, what would it be? And, I mean, with no hesitation, oh, no question, that was. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I thought about it. I was like, okay, Dad, if you could only adjust one of two bones in the body, what would it be? And he said, um, well, that's a good question. Hmm, well, I have to think about that. Hmm. And he thought about it for a while, and he's like, you know, I don't know, you know, that's a tough question. Maybe, maybe L5. Like, okay. I said, what about axis? And he looked at me kind of crazy, and he's like, what? And he said, hold on. You're not, you're not getting into that upper cervical work, are you? <laughs> and I said, Dad, I said, it's too late. I said, it got into me. <laughs> He's like, oh, you know, I don't know about that. You know, you just one bone, you know, you don't do anything else, the whole body. What about the back, you know? And, of course, he gave me his line. Well, you know, I adjust the upper cervical, but I adjust, you know, the other parts, too. You know, why not? You know, all the stuff that we had already been through over the last couple of years, asking Dr. Kell and Kessinger and reading volume 18. And so, at first, he didn't really, uh, he didn't really grasp it. And uh, I'll just kind of fast forward on my dad real quick. And uh, we, um, you know, at the first couple of years in upper cervical practice, I mean, you know, the miracles and stuff that were happening in my office were just, you know, my, I mean, just amazing. And, and you know, and I'd call him and tell him about it, and he'd kind of blow it off. And, and uh, you know, one day I was home for Christmas, and I told him about, oh, this baby with epilepsy and all these different things. And finally he said, well, uh, I, was, I was out in the cemetery raising people from the dead. <laughs> I was like, what? He goes, well, i got to come up with something to compete with your stories. Oh, okay. So, you know, it kind of became something where I didn't even want to get into. I didn't want to talk about it. You know, I I mean, he and I don't think he really did either. It's kind of like, okay, you're where you're at. I'm where I'm at. 
And, uh, you know, so we really didn't talk about what we did. Uh, you know, when we got together, it was just kind of a family thing, and that was it. Well, so to fast forward, like I said, um, my youngest daughter was born, will be three years ago in, in June this year, and uh, I just built my, I don't know, I guess my dream practice, uh, what I would, you know, my, my the building as far as that goes, and, you know, I, kind of what you always kind of shoot for one day, I'd like to have an office like this, and uh, so he came in for her birth, for, for her birth, and um, my office had only been open a couple months, and I said, well, let's go down, I want to show you my new office, you got to come down and check it out, so him and my, my stepmom is also a, uh, a chiropractor. And so uh, they went down there with me, and uh, in my office, um, you know, it's all digital, all paperless. You know, it, it's a beautiful office. I, I absolutely love it. But I uh, went down there, and they were, you know, walking around showing some. So then I have a high-low table there, primarily checking people's leg lengths and stuff, you know, that can't get down on their own. So um, he walked over, and, and he lays on that high-low, and he asked my mom, he said, hey, hey, come over here and see if you can, you know, get my low back here, man. I got this pain shooting down my leg, my back killing me, come over and see if you can, you know, give me like a lumbar roll or whatever. And so she's like, uh, well, she walks over there and she goes, nah, you know, I can't do it. This is too tall. And she primarily does drop. She's, you know, not that big anyway. And uh, so he looks over and she says, well, maybe maybe Ray can do it. Maybe he'll come over, you know, hey, hey, Ray, can see if you can come over here and get this L5. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that. you know, I haven't done that in 14 years, 13 years, I, I you know. And even if I did, I, I, you know, I, I don't, that's not what we do here. I said, you're in my office. I said, tell you what, let me do it. Let me do what I do. He's like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, what's that? All right, so go ahead, fine. That's what, whatever. You know, you're in your office. You do what you got to do. And I was like, okay, come on. I said, okay, so have a seat. So I scanned him, and he's off the, you know, off the charts on the Titron. Took him in. We have a digital x-ray system. So I took him in, took him in, took his x-rays. And, uh, you know, pretty obvious, uh, ASRA from our listening standpoint. And I said, okay, come on in here, never touch his back, adjust him on the new chest table, took him back in the rest area, laid him down about 30 minutes, uh, brought him back in there. Uh, you know, as soon as he sat down, of course, I said a little prayer. Um, God, this was straight. I I had one shot. And, uh, and I scanned him, and I swear you couldn't have drawn it straighter with a ruler. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, Dad, that's it. And, I, and you know, and he kind of hesitated, and I was like, okay, now now what? What's he going to say? And he turned around, and he looked at me, and he said, I don't know what you did. He said, but my back pain is gone. Mm-hmm. He said, the pain down my leg is gone. He said, that, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's, that's, from, that's from Justin the Atlas. So he was there for a couple days, and in those couple days, he noticed that his digestion changed. That night, he came downstairs the next morning, and he said, that's the best I've slept in three years. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I, I mean, I, I just I slept like a champ. And so, uh, you know, he, called, he went home, called me about four or five days later, and, and he started talking more about some of the digestive changes that he had. I mean, he, had he had a lot of stuff going on, and all of these things started clearing up. And, um, you know, all, all just from one one adjustment. And uh, so finally, about a week later, maybe it was two weeks later, he called me up and he said, you know what? He said, I don't know exactly what you did. He said, but I do know I've got to learn it. So I was like, okay. 
He said, will you show me what you do? Will you teach me? And I said, you know, I'll do everything I can to do so. So I met him in Tennessee um, in July, and his birthday's in July, and I took him a, uh, a new chess table for him to start working on and start practicing on. And uh, now he has three strictly only upper cervical practices and uh, does nothing but upper cervical. And this, uh, he, it took him about... Oh, probably six months to a year to fully convert. And now uh, he remodeled his whole office, took away all those, well, what were treatment rooms. Now he has one adjusting room that feeds into a big rest area. And, I mean, that's his, his office. And, uh, I mean, it's just, and, you know, he told me uh, after his first year, he said, you know, he's been here in practice, I guess, probably 18, 19 years. He said, I've had more miracle cases in one year of doing upper cervical than I have had in 18 years doing full stop. Wow, that's an amazing story. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really proud of, of him for, you know, uh, stepping up and, you know, recognizing what we do and actually going out, you know, I mean, God, after doing it for 18 years to learn a whole new technique and change your whole office over is pretty, uh, pretty cool. You should have him on stage at the Evolution Seminars. Uh, yeah, we might. Actually, uh, I've... Uh, I think I talked him into at least coming up and saying a few words this year. So, yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. Well, you had uh, just to back up a little bit. You were um, what year were you in school when you first got uh, adjusted by Doctor Kessinger? Um, I was in my fourth or fifth trimester out of ten. I think fourth. Okay. And. Uh, did you start training with him, or did you just start going down to uh, Dr. Kale's seminars? Well, we went to Dr. Kale's seminars and uh, to learn the, you know, the basics. And then uh, we probably went to Kessinger's office. I mean, there for a while. We were probably going a couple nights a week, and, and a lot of it was just to watch, to observe. Um, we had started a upper cervical club at Logan, uh, which got kicked off campus. Mm-hmm. And we went round and round with that, and. Uh, so then we wound up just, instead of having club meetings, we just had uh, people just all of a sudden showed up for some reason in this one room at the break every, every about every day by then. But, um, I mean, we made it, we had a lot of things happen. And we actually graduated in my class with 11 people in my class that were certified through Kale by going to there. But, but uh, you know, Dr. Kale taught us the, the foundation, you know, all the basics uh, through the seminars and then, uh, and, then Dr. Kessinger, you know, kind of worked with us a little bit on uh, a lot of the philosophy and stuff, especially um, after the first week or two of me going in there and bombarding him with every question in the book about upper cervical. And finally, you know, he just said, Ray. And he gave me a volume 18. He said, take this book home, read this book, do not come back until you've read this book. <laughs> and uh, he said, this will answer all these questions. This will save us a lot of, a lot of time. So uh, I did that read it uh actually i've read it several times but you know it says we did at least three times the only book he says that and uh there's a reason for that but um so uh yeah it was a combination of uh kessinger and, and kale uh how, how did you end up in uh, north carolina well i always loved the carolinas and um um originally dad had two practices he was holding one for me to take over 
uh, when I got out of school. But it was a full spine, full spine practice and did therapies. And, you know, Dad's like, ah, you can come in and do your upstairs and stuff. But, but, you know, I just didn't feel like it was going to die. And then also, you know, there just wasn't a lot for me. I was 25 years old. Um, I grew up in Kentucky my whole life. Kentucky's a great place to grow up, a great place to raise a family. But for a single 20-something-year-old, it just, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to do. So I wound up going to Charlotte, and um, I always loved the Carolinas. Like I said, love to be near the water, especially fresh water. There's a lot of lakes right here. Charlotte's a, a young, growing town. You know, they got professional sports, and there's things that I like that, that, that attracted me. So that's pretty much why I came here. Okay. Um, tell us about the uh, chiropractic mission trips that you uh, went on. Tell us about the first time you went. Uh, all right. Actually, I just somebody just sent me that on a DVD the other day. Hmm. And Thad uh, was here. Dr. Vanya, my partner, was here for a, a seminar we had. And we watched about half of it. It was hilarious. Hmm. But uh, really funny to look at us back. Uh, that was in 94, our first mission trip. And um, we went to we went with Dr. Kale. There was uh, I believe 16 of us because we saw like 16,000 patients, and that's what was kind of why I kind of remember that number. Um, but what they did was uh, we went into it was in Moldova, which is the former Soviet Union. And when we got there, um, Dr. Kale took sent, told me to go with three students in a car one direction dad went in a car with three students in another direction and um i was about three and a half hours away from where they were and didn't speak a word of russian and they all spoke russian and uh, we had one interpreter and there were four of us in my group and we all stayed at a different house and uh and then we all met up at this church and we saw patients out of the church and um you know, uh, the bathrooms there, you know, was a hole in the ground. Um, very poor, very, you know, it was, it was it was a lot of poor people, but it was very rewarding. We had unbelievable things happening left and right, people getting vision back, hearing back, paralysis coming back, uh, you know, Parkinson's and tremors clearing up. And, I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was just, you know, I think you just get in that zone and you just boom, 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 and you're just so... Even for the students, you know, they just were just doing such a good job, and the people were just awesome, and, and they loved us, and they were bringing us gifts, and they brought us food, and I mean, that trip was 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 really cool. What kind of adjusting goes on on, in, on these uh, mission trips? Uh, this, this was an all knee chest. How uh, are you able to X-ray the patients? No, no, and you know, there's a lot of. Um, I don't know, mixed feelings about the mission trips uh, from people, primarily people outside of the knee chest work, because the knee chest, it, the, the, the posture, we did a posture analysis, which is 70% accurate. Now, is 70% accurate accurate enough? Well, you know, when you see the types of stuff that we've seen on these trips, um, you know, it's the changes in these people, I mean, immediately, um, it's unbelievable. And I'll tell you, like, some reason other in Russia, it must be the delivery process, I don't know, but a lot of the babies are cross-eyed or the little kids. And I'm telling you, probably 25% of the cross-eyed babies, you would adjust them, turn them around, look at them in the eyes, and they would straighten out. Hmm. Dr. Kell started showing me this. He's like, Drew, Drew, come here and watch this. 
and he'd adjust the baby and he'd pick him up and hold him and he'd say, watch him, watch him, watch him. And all of a sudden, boom, those eyes would, you know, straighten up and you're like, oh man, this is cool. So we do a posture analysis and the graph, okay? So we, do, we post and pre and post everybody. Now, we had a rule that if the, if the graph got, if it was, say, three, I mean, we did meters, you know, no kilometers. You know, if it was, uh, if, it, if, if, it, if it stayed the same, we would recheck them. We would put them in the line to check them again later. If it got worse, we would send them back to the pre, call a new listing. If it improved or changed, went to the other side or whatever, then we sent them on. So we had, you know, we did the best we could with what we had, but they were, you know, they were very, very grateful. The next trip we went back to the same area, and uh, we had 30 doctors, and we saw um, 49,500 patients. We had 10,000 in one day. Good night. Yeah. That's, uh, that's like a professional sport event over here. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, we've got, I've got pictures, you know, of people at, you know, a 9 o'clock appointments, you know, that'd be you know, several hundred people lined up down the road. So would you have, like, people uh, running a type of triage where they do the postural analysis and then write down the listing based on that and then give that to the person, and then the person shows up to the guy adjusting, and he just adjusts based on what the, the what was found in the uh, uh, postural analysis? Correct. We wow. had a pre, we had a, somebody doing pre-scans, and somebody would walk in front of them and get a postural and write down whatever the, the, the neurokilometer said, like to the right, three to the left, one to the right. And they'd write that down, and that person would be doing a postural scan at the same time and, and, and write down a listing. Wow. And that person would get their paper, and then they would move over to the adjusting section. They'd get an adjustment, and then they'd go get in line at the post section. They'd be, we'd have a row of chairs where they'd go and sit down. We make sure everybody rested at least 10, 15 minutes, and then a post scanner would come behind them and just one after the other, and uh, there'd be a person in front writing down, you know, what the post scan said. Everybody on every mission trip got sick, and we checked each other constantly. But, you know, because you're going on just pure adrenaline and you're just going nonstop. I mean, yeah, we slept, you know, probably, I don't know, five, six hours or something at night. Uh, but also the food over there wasn't too good, so we lived off of, like, beanie weenies and Vienna sausages and, you know, stuff back then that, you know, we thought we were bulletproof and, you know, we all got sick. <laughs> Pretty much everybody got sick on every trip I've ever been on. Well, on the uh, first trip that you went, uh, had you already been practicing or were you still in school? Actually, I opened my practice on the Monday after I got back from my first trip. Okay. Well, tell us about your early practice experience. Ooh, boy. It was rough. <laughs> I struggled. Um, you know, I came out with the false impression that as long as I was a good upper cervical doctor, that I would have all the patients I could handle. And um, that was very wrong. Um, and... I, uh, you know, at first I sat around waiting for patients, wondering why they weren't knocking on my door, and then finally I decided, I, you know, two great motivators, inspiration and desperation, uh, desperation started to set in, and so I got out and beat the streets and made up a little flyer and went door to door through businesses and went door to door through neighborhoods. 
uh, what what I later learned were called meet and greets, and then uh, then started setting up talks. Um, that's where I wound up building the majority of my practice was anybody that would let me come in and talk to them, uh, I did it. And I spoke at every possible thing you could ever imagine, every civic organization, um, every support group, uh, church, uh, schools, uh, fire departments, police departments, anybody that would let me. And I would go anywhere to business and just say, hey, I'd love to come and give you a free class, you know. And, Here's some information on what we do, and so I did. Um, Dr. Bonio and I both—that's pretty much how we built our practices. I mean, there was—I remember there are times where we kind of have a contest. Okay, who's got the most patients? Who—or I mean, not the most patients, but who's got the most uh, talks? And I mean, it was very typical for us to have three a week. Um, so that's really kind of where we started, where we got going. And and I, you know, I really—I got rolling pretty quick once I started doing that, and. Uh, I actually opened my second practice within the first year of my first practice. Actually, I, no, I'm going to say I take that. Man, I, was, I started building it out in December. The other practice opened in February. So it was probably right around the same time, probably almost exactly around a year uh, later I opened my second practice. And I worked back and forth between the two of them. Um, some people told I had patients coming to Mooresville, which is outside of Charlotte, about mm, 20, 25 minutes, who said, hey, if you open in Charlotte, man, we'll flood your office. You'll have some impatient. You don't know what to do. So I thought, well, hey, you know, I can see. I can work three days a week in this office, three days a week in that office. And uh, so I did. And I built it, put the second office up. And then for eight and a half years, I worked six days a week until finally I sold the original practice. So anyway, I had, but I had a lot of struggles, and I had a lot, you know, once I opened that, you know, I was, I, I later learned also, and it's funny because, you, you know, you hear from these guys that have done the exact same thing that you've done, opening a second office, and they say, you know, and I thought, I told them, I was like, well, I figured I can work three days a week in this office, let's say I can see 50, 60, 70 patients a day there, well, I can do the same at the other office. And he said, and, 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 and several people said, let me, and, and let me tell you the rest of the story before you go any further. You are seeing, let's say you're seeing, 60 patients a day in one office, now you wind up seeing 30 patients in that office, 30 patients in the other office, and now you're seeing the same exact number of patients, but now you've doubled your overhead, and that's exactly what happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's your, um, you just can't split that, uh, uh, you know, that focus. When you when you split that focus, you know, that's, you're going to get split results. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I learned that lesson the hard way. And then when I sold that other, that first office, the Charlotte office doubled the first month, tripled in three months, wow. just, just from regaining that full focus. So that's a lesson we teach our <laughs> our clients, you know, and we've had many of them say, hey, man, I'm ready to open another office. I'm like, okay, who's your doctor? No, I'm going to do it. I figure I can. I'm like, no, 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 no. Learn from our mistakes. Yeah. Well, tell us about the origins of the uh of the upper cervical health centers was that something that uh, you got an idea of pretty quickly or uh, did it just evolve over time did you see doctors not doing well how did that come about this is the end of part one please go to part two here's another bonus for upper cervical doctors if you go to my website at www.uppercervicaldocs.com slash blog and 
uh, you'll see the um, different categories uh, in my blog there but if you click on upper cervical marketing and scroll until you find the article titled five fun ways to get more patients from the web uh, this is uh, based on a talk that I gave at the local chamber of commerce and uh, there is a, a slideshow that I've embedded into that post with audio and if you just scroll down and click on the uh, embedded uh, video that you see there uh, it'll run through the entire presentation and this will show you five ways that you can use the internet to get more patients um, and uh, it doesn't uh, the five ways that I show you don't doesn't even require that you have a website um, and I tell you how to do that in there uh, of course if you have a website this will get more traffic to your page uh, to your website but um, the, the techniques that I uh, demonstrate in this slide presentation don't even require you to have a website. So once again, it's www.uppercervicaldocs.com slash blog and click on Upper Cervical Marketing, uh, which you'll see in the uh, navigation menu, um, third line down from the top. Uh, go have a look at that, and uh, I hope it helps you. Well, um, we have had Dr. Vanya and I graduated together. He was actually, Thad Vanya, he was on that trip with me to DE. And he kind of discovered chiropractic when I did, kind of discovered observable when I did. Uh, we went on that first mission trip together. Uh, I mean, we're like brothers. And so we both kind of built our practices at the same time. And we probably talked uh, sometimes two or three times a day. What did you do here? What did you say there? Well, write that down for me and send it to me. And, you know, and I mean, everything was got to be where it was almost almost identical and uh, but I always had plans of opening and running you know multiple offices um, so what I started doing was bringing in uh, associate doctors and uh, I'd opened uh, two or three practices I guess by then and um, two or three additional practices and James Tomasi and Ron and Tomasi were uh, were in town visiting and we were doing a talk or a show somewhere or something and I, um, I called James up to my office, and I said, James, come over here. I want to show you something of what I've been working on. I said, you know, I've been wanting to open, you know, multiple offices, and I've been bringing doctors in and staff people in and stuff, and, and, you know, I keep having to retrain people and retrain people. And then, you know, I said, so what I've done is I've developed standard operating procedure manuals for every part of the office. So now the doctor has his own manual so he knows, okay, this is what you say in the consultation, this is your script for that, this is what you say in the first report, the second report, this is how you put together your financial plan, you know, for the, the care plan. And, uh, you know, marketing, um, all the different things we do for marketing, the staff, you know, what they do when we hire a staff person, they get a manual, they got scripts, blah, blah. So, Everything, every aspect of running the office. It took me probably about six months to do it because I was working on it at night um, after I'd get home and occasionally on the weekends. And so um, I was proud of this. I was like, this is what's going to help me open, you know, these other offices. And he read through it, you know, and looked it over. And he's like, man, this is pretty cool. This is pretty awesome what you've done. And he said, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of doctors out there, upper cervical doctors, because they travel all over the world and, and, and spend time with them. They know probably more than anybody that, you know, are great technicians, but they just aren't good business people because they've never been taught, and uh, they just, you know, they could use this. And I was like, well, I was like, but, but 
James, this has taken me like years to, to create. And, you know, I, let them figure that, you know, let them create their own. <laughs> you know, I mean, this was the, obviously the first selfish response. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, Ray, he said, you know, but they could figure it out on their own, some of them. And, he, and of course, he, we both knew people that were now working for UPS or Federal Express or Home Depot. They were great technicians, but just didn't make it in business. And he was like, you know, <clears throat> Ray, I know you, and as long as I've known you, you've always had a bigger vision for a preservable that, you know, it should be, you know, a household name, that there should be offices all over the world, that people should be involved. I mean, should have it, should know about it, you know, and maybe this is a way that you could use the stuff that you've created over the last several years um, to maybe put up a circle on the map. And so I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know, he's exactly right. You know, this is something that, that you know, yeah, we can share with people. We can, you know, cut out the learning curve, help them become more successful. And in the process, the more successful we are as a profession, the more people are going to get under care, the more people are going to get a hold of this. So I called Thad up, and I said, Dad, I said, uh, James thinks we should do this, and uh, but I can't do it by myself, so... You know, if you want to do it, then I'll do it. If you don't want to do it, then, then I'm not going to pursue it. So it started off as kind of like an, a practice management thing for upper cervical doctors. But we wanted to um, we wanted to keep a combination. We wanted to kind of brand it, to kind of keep some name, um, you know, put a name on upper cervical that people could start to uh, connect with. So... <clears throat> I met, uh, flew down to Florida to meet Greg Buchanan because I knew Greg was a big advocate of upper cervical. He created this web page and everything. And so, you know, he was down there. His daughter was taking uh, a tennis uh, seminars down in Daytona or down in uh, Orlando. So I flew down, spent a day with him, and we were talking about it. And, you know, he's an unbelievable businessman, Greg is. Uh, he's got like three master's degrees and, and anyway so I showed him I was, I was like well Greg this is what we're doing this is what we're trying to do and, and so he got all excited about it and he said well you know you got to brand it you know you have to brand up a cervical you got to keep the name and uh, so it turns out in order for us to have that common name that all of a sudden we were legally functioning as a franchise so we hired some attorneys to try to figure out if there's a way we could work around the franchise. It turned out there was no way we could work around the franchise. So uh, that cost us about 10 months and about $160,000 just to set up a franchise and get all the get everything in its legal right place, uh, which we had to do. We did. And in the long run, I think it's good because it, it does make for a stronger company, a stronger foundation. It is the best uh, business principle on the planet um, as far as uh, rate of success goes and uh, so um, that's where we are and um, well, what year was this that uh, uh, to, uh, James Tomasi uh, put the bug in your ear boy it was probably four years ago four five years ago four or five years ago and it took us a long time to get it really where we wanted it because you know, we couldn't just come out and say, hey, if anybody wants to learn this, come on. You know, we, we had to make, you know, I had to make sure the manuals were right. We started creating our own pamphlets and brochures specifically for upper cervical. Um, and uh, we started off with just two or three clients and then four or five clients. And, 
And you know, we and then we got to a point where we met. Like I said we lost like ten months. Well, we could not sign anybody on legally until we had the franchise set up because uh, we were functioning illegally. And if we had signed somebody up, knowing that our attorneys would like just you know just stop right now until we get this set up. Um, and uh, so yeah, about four or five years ago. Um, we did a we, we had a planning meeting in Hawaii. We met Greg halfway, myself, Dr. Bonio, actually the Swansons went with us, and um, um, Bill uh, Bill Doherty is our, our marketing director. He does all of our marketing stuff, and basically that's he was a professional marketer before, uh, and he did a lot of work for me on the side when I was doing when I just had my own practices. Now he works for us full time, and that's all he does is marketing for these guys. For all the offices. Uh, but anyway, so we met in Hawaii uh, for a week, and uh, man, you know, I really thought, okay, we're going to work for a day or two, and then we're going to, you know, vacation while we're there. Man, we work nonstop, around the clock. I mean, writing out business plans, writing out formulas, writing out projections. Uh, Greg was pulling out logarithms. I mean, it was just crazy, and uh, my wife was not real happy about it, to say the least, because... <laughs> She had a two, uh, well, no, she had a one-and-a-half-year-old and a, a six-month-old with her. And I was, you know, working the entire time, so she didn't really have much of a vacation. But we got a ton accomplished. A lot of it we still use today, a lot of our projections and, and the things that we worked out while we were there. So that was kind of our game plan. Then we came back, and and we just, you know, started at it. Um, one of the things Greg told me, uh, when I was in one of them in Florida was, you know, I was going to quit seeing patients. And I was like, what? I was like, no, that was never part of the deal. You know, I mean, I love what I do. That's why I want to make help these other people be successful so they can do, you know, what it is I do, you know, because it's, it's awesome. Everybody, all these doctors should be successful so that they can continue doing it. And he was like, well, Ray, you're, but you can help more people by not practicing, then you can't practice it. And it took me a while to get a hold of that. I didn't really like it, and I fought it for a long time. And finally, I was like, you know, okay, maybe maybe you're right. So for the last two years, uh, other than some Italian patients coming over here, I haven't had, I haven't seen patients. I haven't had a, you know, a practice of my own, sort of say. I mean, I own some, but I haven't been actually seeing patients. Did you just quit cold turkey? Yeah, well, no, I can't say that. Um, Over a year, I went from four days a week to three days a week to two days a week uh, to one day a week. Okay. I was going to say. I didn't just all of a sudden tell everybody, okay, I won't be back. Yeah. If you, you, uh, uh, you know, loved it as much as you did, and I know your uh, patients uh, were probably very fond of you, too, that would be... Yeah, not impossible. <laughs> no, and you know what? I still have patients that call me every now and then, and I'm like, all right, I'll meet you down at Airwood, you know, yeah. right get checked. But it doesn't. I've got most of them now to where I'm like, you know, because they're well, heck, I was in Italy for five weeks, so I didn't, get, you know, I didn't see anybody, and and I only had two or three that would call me up just once every now and then, and I I'd go check them out. Well, tell us uh, about the origins of the Upper Cervical Evolution Seminars. Well, um, that also kind of, uh, we had, we thought about, we, we had the idea already in place before we went to Hawaii. Uh, we picked, um, well, no, I guess everything kind of was, I think, let's 
see, did it, it started, the idea started before Hawaii, but we kind of finalized it in Hawaii. It was in November before the, the first evolution. Um, <clears throat> but the idea was just to try to bring everybody together. You know, let's try to get some unification in, in, in upper circle. Let's all, you know, at least we can, you know, chiropractors are, you know, as Dr. Forrest says, they circle the wagons and shoot inward. And, um, you know, we're our own worst enemies. So as upper circle doctors, at least we can all unite on the same area. We have that in common. We all believe in the subluxation. We all believe in, you know, the neurological component, the cause of disease, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so, you know, a lot of people said that it wouldn't work. We couldn't do it. There's no way you'll get all the techniques in, in, at one seminar together. Um, and um, But we believed we could, and we just kept pushing it and pushing it. And somehow or another we pulled it off. Uh, we lost our butt on it, the first one and the second one, and it looks like probably the third one. But, um, you know, as it, it, a lot of things have changed in upper cervical, I believe, as a result of at least the first evolution. Um, so, you know, this one coming up, we're going to have about 140 students there. So, you know, at the very least, all the techniques have at least doubled or tripled since the first evolution. Um, so we know that, that that's getting the students there. We're paying, that's part of where we lose our butts, is we're paying for the, all of them to stay there at the Green Valley Ranch. Um, you know, the resort, so uh, that way they can be there involved with the whole thing the whole weekend, and, you know, it's it's that we know has changed a lot of lives for the students. Uh, and now we have seven upper cervical clubs uh, that we started and we sponsor at seven different schools um, where a lot of us go and speak and um, talk to, which might be something that uh, I might be able to talk to you into doing sometime. Well, tell me, uh, how many uh, people do you anticipate being at uh, this uh, evolution seminar? You said 140 students. How many people total do you anticipate? Right being? now, we're right at uh, about 250. Okay. And we still have what three weeks to register. Uh, tell me a little bit about the mechanics of putting on a big, uh, uh, big production like that. Did uh, you guys just? Uh, just run into it and do it and you made it happen or did and, you yeah exactly we were just winging it we didn't have a clue what we were doing and i'm telling you what there weren't a there there uh we were we'll say we were pretty tight through the whole thing i mean you know you never know because you know for one the first time a lot of those the technique heads have been in the same room at the same time and anywhere and you never know if somebody's going to get up there and say, okay, what I do is the only real upper cervical, none of the rest of it really, you know. There's a lot of bad things that could have, could have happened. Uh, but fortunately it didn't. And, yeah, we just totally winged it. I mean, and we just got lucky. I mean, it was a great seminar. The speakers were great. Everybody was happy. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome for us, man. Saturday night after it was over, we were all just on cloud nine, just floating. I mean, we just thought we just, you know, pulled off the, the impossible. Because a lot of people said it was impossible. But it was great. It was awesome, man. We had a blast. Uh, this year, I'm really excited, especially going back to Vegas, because I think I'm actually going to be able to relax a little bit, uh, which I had not the previous two. For one, going to a, you know, a place we're familiar with, um, and having two more, two under our belt already, 
um, <clears throat> I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Well, that's a, you know that's uh, fantastic. That means that it's supposed to happen. You know, yeah. uh, because um, uh, I've never uh, put on uh, anything like that. But I've uh, you know I've known a lot of, about a lot of people I have, and uh, that's amazing that you went in, you just winged it, and it happened like it did. I mean, that's really really saying something. That's saying something. Uh, about uh, your ability to wing things, and it's saying something about the fact that it's supposed to happen. Yeah, no, we definitely believe so. And there's a lot of things that came out of that. You know, the power of upper cervical was filmed at the first one, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a lot of bonds made there. A lot of people now, you know, now like the upper cervical call that they have, you know, um, the diplomat program, I'm sure, you know, even Quam said, you know, would have never happened if, if everybody hadn't, if he had not been at that first evolution and saw what was actually you know the enthusiasm behind what we did. He never, he didn't, didn't know that that was, you know, was that nationwide, and there was that many people that were so passionate about it. Well, tell us about going to other countries. Um, well, <clears throat> but that's that's probably the one thing that I mean. Of course, Upper Circle Health Centers is, is awesome. I'm excited about that, but the the whole potential of what's going on in Italy right now is. It's really cool. Actually, uh, the head doctor uh, that I'm working with is going to be here on Tuesday um, to kind of finalize some details on on three offices that we're opening up over there. But the way it all started was um, my mother-in-law is from Italy. Uh, My wife is half Italian. And, uh, you know, they've all been patients. You know, I've been with my wife. Um, not married for 10 years, but with her for about 10 years anyway. And and um, so they all know what we do, and they've heard what we've done. And so they had a, uh, a relative of ours in Italy had a good friend that uh, had some health problems. And they told her about a year before that that she needed to come over here and see me. Well, um, they called one day, and they started rattling off these, condi- these symptoms. And this was probably, well, she came here, I think, probably in, like, October of 07. Not last year, but the year before. And um, so they started rattling off these conditions. And, you know, and I was just listening, and I was like, you know, because I'd had several patients with dystonia, that uh, I said, you know, I said, it sounds to me like dystonia. And they said, what? How do you say that? And I said, dystonia. And they said, how do you spell it? And I told them how to spell it. And I said, just, just from the list of conditions. And, uh, and so they, she had been all over Europe, Germany, France, uh, Switzerland, Rome, you know, all these major hospitals. Well, nobody could tell her what her condition was, which, you know, to me, it doesn't mean anything. A diagnosis is a diagnosis. And, uh, and so anyway, so she said, they, they called her and they said, well, you know, Ray said he thought it sounded like dystonia. And they're like, well, never heard of that. Well, the next day they got a call from their doctor in Switzerland that she went to. And he said, okay, we finally figured out what it is. You have dystonia. Well, that really, really impressed them because I never even had seen her before. And I diagnosed it when nobody else in Europe could. You know, to me, big deal. It doesn't mean anything. It wouldn't change anything I did. But that really impressed them. So, hey, that's, that's okay, whatever. So then um, they called me back. Well, have you helped people with dystonia? I said, yeah, I've had quite a few of them. And, uh, you know, it takes some time, but they respond. 
So anyway, they said, well, we want to send her over. You know, will you take care of her if we send her over? And I said, sure, send her over. I'll do what I can. Uh, well, she also had cerebellar ataxia. So anyway, she came over, uh, first adjustment, and for the first time in three or four years, she was completely out of pain. Within a couple of weeks, her, her hands were, like, gnarled up, you know, and, and uh, her hands started opening. Um, they filmed her doing things that she couldn't do before. She's picking up pencils and bottles and blah, 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 and she's walking on her own. She came over in a wheelchair, and so all these all these wonderful things started happening. Well, <clears throat> Johnny, who is her husband, couldn't believe it, and so he came over to see her. And, uh, you know, he was like, oh, gosh, you know, what do we got to do to get up cervical doctor in Italy? We need up cervical doctor over there. And I was like, you know, I don't know. And, you know, we'll see what we can, you know, who knows. So anyway, he went back over there and started checking around, finding, talking to people. We originally were going to go into a hospital over there, but uh, uh, it just didn't work out. They were not the kind of people that, you know, ultimately I would have wanted to do business with. Um, but we found another location, and that was the outpatient hospital. Um, they had the location. I went over and talked to them. We worked out a deal where I brought all the equipment over. I brought over American X-ray uh, digital system. Um, had everything, and they flew over and installed it, set everything up, and it was it was great. So first week they had, I think, uh, like 38 new patients. I was there helping. So in three days we processed 38 new patients, and uh, it's just he, I actually got an email from him today. He's got 68 scheduled tomorrow. So uh, he's uh, rocking and rolling over there. Dr. Leach is our, uh, our doctor over there. He's been over there since, well, been 10 patients since August. And uh, so from there, oh, well, I'll tell you what, it goes way, I skipped a, probably a big part of this. Um, also, when Johnny got back to Italy, um, there were some articles and stuff that were published in the paper that where they had interviewed him and, and Damiana and what happened. Well, all of a sudden, people started calling him saying they wanted to know more about this upper cervical. Well, we started working it out where we set up a hotel here near my office, and we had patients coming over from Italy for three months at a time, staying at the hotel and seeing me. And it was everything from ALS, multiple sclerosis, cerebellar ataxia, um, a lot of, you know, pretty difficult conditions, but one of them was a little four-year-old girl that had an immunization injury, um, and uh, she started responding. She, I mean, right away, her first adjustment, she started responding, and got Daphne, of course, we all just love her to death, um, and uh, she got to where she could stand on her own. She could feed herself. I mean, it was really awesome stuff, it just, even in just three months. So when all those patients came over and they started getting better and they went back and they were like, well, what am I supposed to do now? What do I do now? You know, I can't go back to Italy. I, you know, I, I need to continue my care. Obviously, some of these guys have had multiple sclerosis and stuff for 20 years. So that's when, you know, that kind of inspired Johnny up to go over there and try to get something together. And he went and got our connection for us and got that first office open. Um, and then one of Johnny's good friends uh, was a medical doctor who is uh, on the board of the most prestigious medical school in Europe, which is there in Rome. And uh, he's also really big in the Italian Medical Association. And he, uh, we went down and met with him and uh, started talking to him about it. I mean, and this was just, I mean, it's amazing, but I mean, even our first talk, we, I mean, he, Johnny had talked to him. He had seen Damiana before. He saw Damiana after that. The lady, first lady who came over, and uh, he was like, you know what? 
He goes, uh, there's not a chiropractic school in Italy. And I said, no, there's not. He said, that saddens me. He said, he looked at me for a minute. I mean, just as straight as he could be. And he said, let's open one. Hmm. I said, okay. <laughs> and then uh, and he said, um, but it can't be a chiropractic school. Let's open an upper school, upper cervical school wow. in Italy. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. And uh, and he said, I'm serious. And I said, okay, we'll try to figure it out. And see, he's connected with this board. He's on this board of this medical school. He goes, I can do it through the board of the medical school. He said, it'll be a post-doctor program where only M- only DCs and only MDs can come and learn this. And I said, well, there'll be a lot of work into that. But, you know, that's definitely something that, that we can talk about. Obviously, he's a medical doctor, so he would want to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a meeting there in December with all medical doctors. The media was there, two or three TV stations, newspaper reporters, and three medical doctors got up there basically saying that, you know, hey, we're great diagnosticians, but obviously the, the upper cervical does better at getting people well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this doctor got up there and said, told a story about a guy many years ago that discovered that a lot of these babies were dying uh, it was a, I don't know if he was, I think he was the sweetest doctor. All, a lot of babies were dying um, because the, uh, the people delivering the babies, they weren't washing their hands before the babies were delivered. So mothers were getting infections, babies were getting infections, and they were dying. Well, the medical profession, they couldn't figure it out. Well, this guy figured out the reason that these people were dying, and when he brought it to their attention, they ousted him out of the profession and called him the, the crazy, and they had him uh, put in a sanitarium, and... and um, because he came out and said, hey, what we're doing is wrong. Mm. And, uh, and that's how he started his talk with And he said, and we cannot be that guy in the same story. You know, we cannot do that. We have to come out and say, hey, you know, what they're doing works. And he said, and I know I'm standing up against my own profession, but if we have the best interest of the patient in mind, we've got to get upper cervical here and we've got to get our patients there. Wow. So it was pretty amazing. I'm hoping to be able to show some of that at the evolution if I can get it subtitled with what he's saying. Uh-huh. But anyway, he's going to be here Tuesday. So he and I are opening up three offices probably in the next six months, one in Rome, one in Milan, and one in uh, Sicily. Wow. So it's pretty cool to have that kind of support behind us over there. So Yeah. Um, now they, uh, they're they using the uh, CT seated imaging Yes. Now, my first office is using is not. And when we went, when I went to Rome, we started to look at offices and try to figure out what we were going to do. We went in one office. Actually, it was a hospital uh, that, that said they would, they would basically just rent a space and and they would take our pictures for us. Well, I went down to look at their X-ray system and they had uh, um, they they had a you know they didn't have a tilting bucky. And I said, well, I need you know I can use this X-ray system. It was actually a digital system. But I need, you know, we'll have to bring in a bucky that tilts because I have to take, you know, he's like, well, why, why? And I said, well, because we're going to take a picture from, from underneath the chin to see, you know, the atlas relative to the skull and the baseball series view. And, uh, and he said, well, he goes, I think that, you know, you can use something else. Come here, let me show you. And he took me in there, and he, and he was like, check this out. And it was that 3D CAT scan. And, uh, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this, is, this image is unbelievable. And I said, and he showed me, he said, well, here's the skull, here's the spine, you can see everything, you can go up and down, you can turn it three-dimensionally. And uh, and and I said, can I? Can you put the nerve system in there? And he said, because it's all based on densities. He said, yeah, look, boom. 
There you can see the brain stem coming out of the skull, down through the first two bones, then turning in the spinal cord. And you can see the whole nervous system, the central nervous system going through the bones. I'm like, this is just crazy. This is, I mean, you can just sit there and look. Here's where the impingement is. Here's the misalignment. It's just right there in three dimensions. There's no question. And... Um, and so then he was like, yeah, check this out. He removed the, the nervous system and took me inside the vertebral canal and went up starting down around T4, T5 or something, went up through the C-spine, up through the foramen magnum. I mean, like you had a camera riding up through there. It was just, and then up into the skull. It was just crazy. I was like, man, this is just unbelievable. And they were like, yeah, you can, you can, you can do this on your patient. And I was like, cool. The problem with this one, and I, I had a lot of questions when I got back with, uh, I called Dr. Forrest, I called Dr. Erickson, I called anybody that, you know, okay, this was a supine, full body, <clears throat> 3D CAT scan. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it's not weight-bearing, you know, is that going to throw off our listing? So the idea was, well, what we'll do at first is we'll x-ray people and we'll use this and we'll see what the relationship is in listing. But since then, we've moved away from that and we found... Uh, a guy there that has, he's actually owns like three different imaging centers, um, and uh, two of them have the seated 3D CAT scan. So that takes out the whole weight-bearing equation, which we probably still need to figure out one day if that, how much of a difference that makes in the, in the, in the listing. But the 3D was, 3D seated is, is perfect. And, uh, and the, you know, we get them for 100 euros, which is about 130 bucks. So, you know, they, and that's what he charges us. We'll charge the patient probably 230 or something, mm -hmm. um, and uh, still it gives you just an unbelievable image. Now, how is uh, how are how is he analyzing the images? They have uh, a, a software that does everything, anything. So basically, this imaging center is taking your pictures, and then the the electronic images are sent to the doctor, and he analyzes them on the uh, computer. Well, this is what they said they're going to do for me. See, we're not we don't have that office open yet, mm -hmm. but what they said, because the, obviously I'll be sending them a lot of business, um, is that they would set me up on a to network on their computer which would mean I can go onto their computer from my computer and use the software to mark and measure. They, otherwise, it would cost me uh, a lot of money, like, uh, I don't know, eight to 10,000 bucks or something for my own set of, my own version of the software, and then they would forward the image to me and I could analyze it on my own computer. But in the meantime, we're gonna start off trying to see, um, you know, how well, they, they said they would, they could set up a separate computer there that would be set up just for me to actually be able to, to link to, to use the software myself and, and mark and measure our, our pictures. Okay. So, but it does everything. It measures, it does angles, just everything, kind of like the digital stuff does. Yeah. Um, well, what do you see the, uh, uh, the future of that uh, particular type of imaging uh, as far as uh, individual clinics? Yeah. Well, I think I told you before, right now I think it's about about 180000 mm -hmm. uh, about the best price I've seen. Um, so that's pretty expensive. You know, obviously we deal with a lot of doctors coming straight out of school opening their practices and, and you know, throwing $180,000 in the mix would be pretty expensive. Now, 
if, you know, like, for example, for the Charlotte area, we have six offices in this area. So, you know, that type of scenario might be more reasonable where you have, you know, multiple offices sharing it. Um, and, and, you know, another thing, I mean, of course, I'd love to find out, you know, I mean, if you had that orthodontist, dentist, you know, other, <coughs> excuse me, you would think that there would be a lot of people that could use that imaging, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was created primarily for orthodontists, mm-hmm. um, the seated one. But if you had one, you know, you could probably, I don't know how it would work as far as, you know, you doing other people's patients, but I'm sure you probably could create your own business. But it's, it, I've never seen an image that comes close to it. I mean, it's just, it's whole, it, it really, I mean, you've seen it. It's unbelievable. I yeah. Mean, what you can see in, in 3D is, you know, it almost looks, I, when the first one I looked at, I asked the guy two or three times, I was like, now, is this real? This, and he's like, yeah. I said, that's the guy that was laying on that table. He said, yeah, this is him. This is his bones. And I was like, man, that's just cool. I never even knew it existed. I just stumbled across it when I was in Rome when he showed me that stuff. And then I came back and I started looking into it. And I didn't realize, like you said earlier, you know, we just, don't even know what all's out there. Apparently, there is a guy in uh, in Minnesota that uh, has a mobile version of this, and uh, he'll drive around. And uh, oh no, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I wonder what he charges. Um, I don't remember. It was uh, Doctor uh, Robert Woolley that was telling me about it, um, and uh, he was. Uh, yeah, he was interested in, you know, how would uh, how would you go about analyzing the films? And I said, well, worst comes to worst, just print them off yeah. and uh, analyze them in one dimensions. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what uh, he was probably going to try and do. But this guy, he has it in a van, and he drives it around to different, uh, I'm assuming, dentists and, uh, you know, whoever. You know, yeah. call him up and come to my parking lot and take my pictures. That's a great idea. Now, there's, uh, there's a neat chest doc in Chicago that uses this, and he actually sent me a DVD. A DVD. And, and, I mean, you can, you can, they can print out, print you a DVD that you can use um, that allows you to go forward and backwards, side to side, that allows you to do a lot of the capabilities except for the actual measurements itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it just depends. If you're, you know, like Blair and neat chest, you know, you could, definitely look at it even without a measurement and on most cases come up with a listing. Obviously, you know, orthogonal, everything has to be, at, you know, they're, they're so number-based that they'd have to have some sort of a measurement of it. Yeah. So that's a great idea. I wonder, uh, and, I, and I imagine just like taking an x-ray, if you're sort of, if you can take x-rays, you'll be able to take CT scans. Is that, is that correct? I believe so. And with these uh, seated uh, units, the radiation level is much lower. Yeah. And uh, I know that uh, the one that I was looking at, the only requirements were that you were six feet away from it when you pushed the button. Have you heard anything six feet away from it? Yeah, he, did. he didn't even have to have it in a room, a lead line room. How much? Do you know how much they normally charge for for this shot? Have you heard any prices? Um, uh, the the guy in Minnesota. Uh-huh. I have no idea. That'd be I, interesting to know. Yeah, I think the uh, for some reason the. Uh, 250 is the figure that sticks in my head, and I think that might have been what the uh, dentist that originally showed me. Yeah. What he well, charged. Well, that's very reasonable. I mean, that's um, that's about what we charge for a Blair series. 
Or you know what? That might have been what Medicare paid for it. Two fifty. I wonder if they'd pay for that for chiropractor. Boy, that would pay for it by itself. Mm-hmm. Since they, I mean, they don't pay for X-rays. I wonder if they probably never had a chiropractor bill. CT. Yeah. Three uh, D CAT scan code. Well. All that's interesting, though, uh, to uh, be interesting to know. Uh, tell me what you see as uh, the um, as uh, in in uh, chiropractic history. What do you see as a uh, most positive um, uh, impact on uh, chiropractic, and what do you see as having the uh, most negative impact? Hmm. Boy, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm not. Other than BJ, BJ Palmer history, I'm not a real historian. And of course, mine starts back with, you know, 1923, Dawson Evans and the NCM, and, you know, in 1930, the start of the research, you know, the research center, and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Which obviously, you know, that started a whole new direction. Um, So, no question to me, the most important was probably everything that went into Volume 18 and, and the research on upper cervical that kind of led BJ narrowing down from three times up each side, each and down each, or up and down each side of the spine down to one bone. Um, I wasn't around, obviously, but uh, if, if BJ hadn't done that, none of us would be doing what we do. Um, uh, the most detrimental... Hmm, You know, um, I don't really know. I know right now, like uh, Dr. Schwarzbauer was talking about last night, that, you know, it's it's hard to imagine the stuff that we have happen in our offices on a daily basis. And there are people out there putting up billboards and, and uh, putting up signs and, you know, saying that what we do actually hurts people. And that's, that's you know, that's... That's tough when you spend all day, work, you know, working with people and helping people, and then you know, it's, we don't get a lot of appreciation as as chiropractors uh, or upper cervical doctors, except for from our immediate patient base. So uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't really know. You know, I mean, I feel like chiropractic had advanced, and you know, now I feel like it's almost kind of at a. You know, it's been kind of at a standstill for a while, and, uh, you know, I don't know, it could be even sliding backwards. You know, I know uh, the chiropractic schools are down about 30% in enrollment over the last 10 years, and um, I don't quite understand that, but, you know, the demand or the move towards alternative care is definitely, you know, growing every year leaps and bounds in the U.S. We should be at the head of that. How would you like people to describe your contribution to upper cervical chiropractic? You know, I mean, in, in, I, I mean, you know, I mean, we all have big goals and big plans, and uh, you know, I don't, I, I definitely don't, you know, I, I just like to be remembered one day as as one of the people that helped make it make chiropractic a household name. I mean, that's a, that's a big, big, big goal. But, uh, you know, our plan, you know, I want to have offices all over the world. And, you know, I want to be serving, you know, millions of patients every day. 
so um, you know I'm I'm hoping my biggest contributions <coughs> are you know are, are still coming and uh, will be you know in the not so distant future uh, in the form of you know helping doctors become successful and, and helping you know bring awareness to what we do and and one day seeing up cervical health centers uh, you know in every country and every major city in the world it's a big goal but you know hey you know shoot for the moon and come up short and you know, at least land on a star right well this has been great I really appreciate you doing this doc yeah, well, I appreciate you uh, you having me on. And yeah. I appreciate what you do because obviously, uh, you know, you don't have to do this. And, you know, it's all the little things that are going on right now in Upper Cervical, I think. You know, Dr. Forrest, the email, uh, you know, the, the, the conference calls, the seminars. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in Upper Cervical. Um, and I, unfortunately, like I was saying earlier, I think in chiropractic, feel like chiropractic has kind of been lagging, but but upper cervical has really been, you know, been been moving lately, and it's all of us kind of doing our share, and this is, is great. This is Dr. Paul Hamburg, and many of you know me as the upper cervical patient newsletter guy and how I'm such a big proponent of marketing and educating your upper cervical patients and prospective patients through the use of what I have found to be the most effective patient education tool there is a monthly printed and mailed upper cervical newsletter. I always recommend that the best option for making the greatest impact on your patients is to be sure that your correspondence with them be once every 30 days and in printed form. And if you want to send them an email newsletter, that that is an excellent supplement to the monthly printed version. Well, I'm proud to announce that I am now offering an HTML email version of the monthly upper cervical patient newsletter. If you'd like to see a sample of the email version of the newsletter, just go to www.uppercervicaldocs.com forward slash email newsletter, all one word, and put in your name and email address, and you will see a sample of the email version of the newsletter that you could be sending your patients and prospective patients every single month. Again, that address is www.uppercervicaldocs.com forward slash email newsletter, all one word, no spaces, dashes, or underscores, and uh, put in your name and email address, and you'll be sent a copy of the email newsletter right away.